Hello, beautiful souls. Hello, Annie G here, and welcome to my podcast, Living Sober, where I talk all about being sober, staying sober, and how to deal with our sobriety on an everyday basis. Welcome to anyone who's new, and welcome to anyone who is returning. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. I hope you find comfort and guidance here for your sobriety, and always remember that you are not alone in your struggles and in your addictions. Hello, beautiful souls. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Living Sober. I hope you are all having a great day or night wherever you are and whenever you are listening. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope that your New Year went well. I hope it wasn't too chaotic for you. I hope it wasn't too hard for you. And if it was, I'm really sorry. Don't Don't forget, okay, that it is not always going to be so difficult in your sobriety journey, all right? So just hang in there and knuckle through. And I'm so proud of you for staying sober through this new New Year's, the Christmas holidays, and all just Thanksgiving and this entire, the entirety of the holidays. I am so proud of each and every single one of you for choosing your sobriety and choosing yourselves. And thank you for being here and for listening. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and get started today. Now, um, I do want to do a reading today um, instead of uh, the next podcast, the next episode that um, uh, you you hear will be a further in, um, in insight into step four. But before that, I wanted to do a little reading um, in the back of the big book uh, with the personal stories that some of the people had written down for everybody. Um, and I wanted to do uh, the chapter on page 200 in the big book uh, that is listed as Women Suffer Too. So I'm just going to go ahead and do the reading for everyone because I know the big book does have, you know, it talks about a lot of him and he and his, and there's a lot of masculinity in there. Um, And I just want to remind everybody, especially the women who are in the sobriety, that there are are and have always been so many women across uh, the, the globe in sobriety dealing with sobriety in all shapes and sizes and forms and so you you're not alone and I don't want you to feel like you know we are to go into face-to-face meetings because there are even groups and meetings specifically towards and grouped at women so you don't have to go to meetings that have women and men um, combined all together if you don't feel comfortable there are meetings out there that are also uh, for only men and for only women so there are also those options for everybody as well there are so many kinds of options so that is why I always say definitely don't be afraid and don't hesitate to go to your face-to-face meetings because they are so important now I'm going to go ahead and get started with the reading again it's going to be on the chapter Women Suffer Too, on page 200 in the big book. Now let's go. It says, Despite great opportunities, alcohol nearly ended her life. An early member, she spread the word among women, amongst women in our pioneering period. What was I saying f- uh, from far away, as if in a delirium? I heard my own voice calling someone, Dorothy, talking of dress shops, of jobs. The words came clearer. This sound of my own voice frightened me as it came closer. And suddenly there I was, talking of I knew not what to someone I'd never seen before. That very moment, abruptly I stopped speaking. Where was I? I'd wake I'd wake up in a strange room before, fully dressed on a bed or a couch. I'd waked up in my own room, in or on my own bed, not knowing what hour or day it was, afraid to ask. 
but this was different. This time, I seemed to be already awake, sitting upright in a big easy chair in the middle of an animated conversation with perfectly strange... A perfectly strange young woman who didn't appear to think it strange. She was chatting on, pleasantly and comfortably. Terrified, I looked around. I was in a large, dark, rather poorly furnished room, the living room of a basement flat. Cold chills started chasing up and down my spine. My teeth were chattering, my hands were shaking, so I tucked them under me to keep them from flying away. My fright was real enough, but it didn't account for these violent reactions. I knew what they were. All right, a drink would fix them. It must have been a long time since I had my last drink. But I didn't dare ask this stranger for one. I must get out of here. In any case, I must get out of here before I I let slip my abysmal um, ignorance of how I came to be here. And she realized that I was stark, staring mad. I was mad. I must be. The shakes grew worse, and I looked at my watch. Six o'clock. It had been o'clock when I last remembered looking. I'd been sitting comfortably in a restaurant with Rita, drinking my sixth martini and hoping the waiter would forget about the lunch order, at least long enough for me to have a couple more. I'd only had two with her, but I'd managed four in the 15 minutes I'd waited for her. And of course, I'd had the usual unaccounted swigs from the bottle as I painfully got up and did my slow, spasmodic dressing. In fact, I'd had, I had been in a very good shape at one o'clock, feeling no pain. What could have happened? That had been in the center of New York, on noisy 42nd Street. That was obviously a quiet, a quiet residential section. Why had Dorothy bought me here? Who was she? How had I met her? I had no answers, and I dared not ask. She gave no sign of recognition, anything wrong. But what had I been doing for those lost five hours? My brain whirled. I might have done terrible things, and I wouldn't even know it. Somehow, I got out of, I got out of there and walked five blocks past brownstone houses. There wasn't a bar in sight, but I found the subway station. The name on it was unfamiliar, and I had to ask the way to Grand Central. It took three quarters of an hour and two changes to get there, back to my starting point. I had been in the remote reaches of Brooklyn. That night, I got very drunk, which was, which was usual, but I remembered everything, which was very unusual. I remembered going through what my sister assured me was my 90 procedure of trying to find Willie Seabrook's name in the telephone book. I remembered my loud resolution to find him and ask him to help me get into that asylum he had written about. I remembered asserting that I was going to do something about this, that I couldn't go on. I remembered looking longly at the window as an easier solution and shuddering at the memory of that other window three years before, and the six agonizing months in a London hospital ward. I remembered filling the peroxide bottles in my medicine chest with gin, and in case my sister found the bottle, I hid under the mattress. And I remembered the creeping horror of the, uh, of the interminable night, in which I slept for short spells and, and woke dripping with cold sweats and shaken with utter despair to drink hastily from my bottle and mercifully pass out again. You're mad, you're mad, you're mad, 
pounded through my brain with each returning ray of consciousness, and I drowned the refrain with drink. Who remembers that? (laughs) All right, I'm going to continue. That went on for two months before I landed in a hospital and started my slow fight back to normality. It had been going on like that for over a year. I was 32 years old. When I look back on that last horrible year of constant drinking, I wonder how I survived it, either physically or mentally. For there were, there were, of course, periods of clear realization of what I had become, attended by memories of what I had been, what I had expected to be. And the contrast was pretty shattering. Sitting in a Second Avenue bar, accepting drinks from anyone who offered after my small steak was done, or sitting at home alone with the inevitable glass in my hand, I would remember, and remembering, I would drink faster, seeking speedy oblivion. It was hard to reconcile this ghastly present with the simple facts of the past. My family had money. I had never known denial of any material desire. The best boarding schools and a finishing school in Europe had fitted me for the conventional role of the debutante and young matron. And the time in which I grew up, the Prohibition era, immortalized by Scott Fitzgerald and John Held Jr., had taught me to be gay with the gayest. My own inner urges led me to outdo them all. The year after coming out, I married. So far, so good, all according to plan, like thousands of others. But then the story became my own. My husband was an alcoholic, and since I had only a contempt for those without my own amazing capacity, the outcome was inevitable. My divorce coincided with my father's bankruptcy, and I went to work, casting off all... um, Uh, allegiances and responsibilities to anyone other than myself for me work was only a different means to the same end to be able to do exactly what I wanted to do for the next 10 years I did just that for greater freedom and excitement I went abroad to live I had my own business successful enough for me to indulge most of my desires. I met all the people I wanted to meet. I saw all the places I wanted to see. I did all the things I wanted to do. I was increasingly miserable. I just want to go ahead and take a couple seconds to remind all of my fellow listeners that if you are enjoying this episode and enjoying my podcast here on Living Sober, to please remember that any and all of your support is appreciated and you can go ahead and show your support uh, with monthly donations right here. Um, there is no no minimum or maximum, no matter how big or small. I appreciate all of the support that you are willing and able to show to me and my little podcast here. I am here just trying to help each and every single one of you. And behind the scenes, there is a lot that goes in on making these uh, go live for all of you. All of these episodes takes a lot of time, effort, and money. And any and all donations are very much so appreciated and welcomed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing you and your sobriety and for listening. And thank you for your support monthly and just for listening. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Headstrong and willful, I I rushed from pleasure to pleasure and found the returns dimish, dim, diminishing to the vanishing point. 
hangovers began to assume monstrous proportions, and the morning drink became an urgent necessity. Blanks were more frequent, and I seldom knew how I'd how I'd got home. When my friends suggested that I was drinking too much, they were no longer my friends. I moved from group to group, then from place to place, and went on drinking. With a creeping insidious insidiousness, drink had become more important than anything else. It no longer gave me uh, pleasure. It merely dulled the pain, but I had to have it. I was bitterly unhappy. No doubt I had been in exile too long. I should go home to America. And I did. And to my surprise, my drinking grew worse. When I entered a sanitarium for prolonged and intensive psychiatric treatment, I was convinced that I was having a serious mental breakdown. I wanted help and I tried to cooperate. As the treatment progressed, I began to get a picture of myself, of the temperament that had caused me so much trouble. I had been a hypersensitive, shy, idealistic. My inability to accept the harsh realities of life had resulted in a disillusioned Sorry, my I'm going to reread that again. My inability to accept the harsh realities of life had resulted in a disillusioned cynic, clothed in a uh, protective armor against the world's misunderstanding. That armor had turned into prison walls, locking me in loneliness and fear. All I had left was an iron, determination to live my own life in spite of the alien world, and here I was— An inwardly frightened, outwardly defiant woman who desperately needed to prop to keep going. Alcohol was that prop, and I didn't see how I could live without it. When my doctor told me I should never touch a drink again, I couldn't afford to believe him. I had to persist in my attempts to get straightened out enough to be able to use the drinks I needed without their turning on me. Besides, how could he understand? He wasn't a drinking man. He didn't know what it was to need a drink, nor what a drink could do for one in a pinch. I wanted to live not in a desert, but in a normal world, and my idea of a normal world was being among people who drank. T2 Tealers were not included, and I was sure that I couldn't be with people who drank without drinking. In that, I was correct. I couldn't be comfortable with any kind of people without drinking. I never had been. Naturally, in spite of my good intentions, in spite of my protected life behind sanitarium walls, I several times got drunk and was astounded and badly shaken. That was the point at which my doctor gave me the book Alcoholics Anonymous to read. The first chapters were a revelation to me. I wasn't the only person in the world who felt and behaved like this. I wasn't mad or vicious. I was a sick person. I was suffering from an actual disease that had a name and symptoms like diabetes or cancer or TB. And a disease was respectable, not a moral stigma. But then I hit a snag. I couldn't stomach religion. And I didn't like the mention of God or any of the other capital letters. If that was the way out, it wasn't for me. I was an intellectual, and I needed an intellectual answer, not an emotional one. I told my doctor so in in no uncertain terms. 
I wanted to learn to stand on my own feet, not to change one prop for another, and an intangible and dubious one at that, and so on and so on for several weeks while I grudgingly plowed through some more of the offending book, book and felt more and more hopeless about myself. Then the miracle happened to me. It isn't always so sudden without everyone, but I ran into a personal crisis that filled me with a raging and righteous anger. And as I fumed helplessly and planned to get good and drunk and show them, my eye caught a sentence in the book lying open on my bed. We cannot live without anger. Oh, I'm sorry. We cannot live with anger. The walls crumbled and the light streamed in. I wasn't trapped. I wasn't helpless. I was free and I didn't have to drink to show them. This wasn't religion. This was freedom, freedom from anger and freedom from fear, freedom to know happiness and freedom to know love. I went to a meeting to see for myself this group of freaks or bums who had done this thing. To go, to go into a gathering of people was the sort of thing that all my life from the time I left my private world of books and dreams to meet the real world of people and parties and jobs had left me feeling an uncomfortable outsider, needing the warming stimulus of drinks to join in. I went trembling into a house in Brooklyn filled with strangers, and I found I had come home at last to my own kind. There is another meaning for the Hebrew word that in the King James Version of the Bible is translated salvation. It is to come home. I had found my salvation. I wasn't alone anymore. That was the beginning of a new life a fuller life, a happier life than I had ever known or believed possible. I had found friends, understanding friends who often knew what I was thinking and feeling better than I knew myself and who didn't allow me to retreat into my prison of loneliness and fear over a fancied slight or hurt. Talking things over with them, great floods of enlightenment showed me myself as I really was and I was like them. We all had hundreds of character traits, fears, and phobias, likes and dislikes in common. Suddenly, I could accept myself, faults and all, as I was, for weren't like we all like that? And accepting, I felt a newer inner comfort and the willingness and strength to do something about the traits I couldn't live with. It didn't stop there. They knew what to do about those black abysses that yawned. Uh, ready to swallow me when I felt depressed or nervous. There was a concrete program designed to secure the greatest possible inner security for us long-time escapists. The feeling of impending disaster that had haunted me for years began to dissolve as I put into practice more and more of the 12 steps. It worked. An active member of AA since 1939, I feel myself a useful member of the human race at last. I have something to contribute to humanity since I am uh, peculiar, 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 peculiarly 
sorry, qualified as a fellow sufferer to give aid and comfort to those who have stumbled and fallen over this business of meeting life. I get my greatest thrill of accomplishment from the knowledge that I have played a part in the new happiness achieved by countless others like myself. The fact that I can work again and earn my living is important but secondary. I believe that my once over overweening self-will has finally found its proper place, for I can say many times daily, thy will be done, not mine, and mean it. How beautiful was that? Oh, that was awesome. So I, I hope that you really liked that chapter. M- me personally, I really resonate with that chapter, especially with, you know, the fear of going into the face to face meeting, especially as a woman, uh, you know, trying to face sobriety, as you're dealing with all the shakes and all of those feelings that you're feeling and, you know, the hot and cold flashes and sweats. And, you know, you're just not wanting to do that in front of other gentlemen or guys. And you don't really know what you're walking into. It could all be very scary at first but let me just take a little drink of my water really fast ah sorry my throat everybody (laughs) that was a really good chapter though but yes it could all be very overwhelming it could be very terrifying going to your first face-to-face meeting however it's very important that you open yourself up to it because this chapter really opened up a lot of things also, which was finding your friends, which is another thing I talk about in my podcast with with all of you. It's very important for us to find um, our little friends and our little circle of friends within within our sobriety groups because we can talk to each other, we could be there together, and we help each other get out of our own heads. And these are all important things because we realize and understand each other on a level that not a lot of other people can, you know, and realizing that we are sick and we are dealing with a disease, um, you know, and it's not just in our heads, you know, uh, addiction is a real thing. And we're going to have to deal with that for the rest of our lives, no matter how old or young we get, right. So um, uh, it's, it's just the way of life and finding the answer outside of the bottle, or your drug of choice is is what is key that is what these meetings are for that is what your sobriety is all about you know being honest with yourself and taking those chances taking the chances for yourself because you will we will at the end realize that you actually really love going to the meetings because you actually now have your friends there you have people there that you want to see that you look forward to seeing and talking to um and you know people who really help you and to all the women out there who are suffering and who are really afraid to uh face these face-to-face meetings and start their sobriety journey i really really call on you and really 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 ask you to please 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 for yourself gain your strength and face your fear to go to the meetings. There is nothing to be afraid of. We are all just fellow addicts trying to help each other. We are normal people, everyday people. Uh, You know, we are all different in many ways. And there's always someone there who is going to understand you and be there for you. And there isn't a meeting that I have yet heard of or came across where you don't walk in and have people smiling at you or asking you 
some kind of questioner starting to talk to you. Everyone is very friendly to each other because we are all there for our sobriety journey. Now, if you do see people who come to these meetings, there are sometimes, um, you'll see labels like open or closed meetings. Definitely, I've also said this in other podcasts, but uh, I suggest going to closed meetings. And what that means is the closed meetings are not for people who are there from a nudge from the judge. You know, And if you don't know what the nudge from the judge means, means you're not there because the judge uh, court ordered you to be there for some DUI or something like that. You, you know, it's not because you're there just to sign off on it, but and you're not some, you know, you're not on an actual sobriety journey because that could be very weird for newcomers. So when you see open meetings and closed meetings, that is what it's referring to. That's what it means. So definitely, I recommend definitely go to the closed meetings. It is all of us fellow addicts there. It is not going to be any normies out there from nudge from the judge type of situations. It is just us fellow addicts there. And please just go. Please believe in yourself and be there for yourself and your sobriety. Maybe start with a woman-only meeting, a woman stag meeting, if that is what makes you feel comfortable. But just know that there are women in every meeting. We are out there and we are dealing with it of all ages and in all different kinds of addictions um, and all different kinds of levels of it as well. So we have all have our different experiences that we can all share and be be there for each other and help each other as women, um, you know, because life is already hard enough for all of us women and... You know, it doesn't have to be even harder because we're dealing with addictions. We are there. We are all here. And I hope that you find your circle of friends. And I hope you find the strength and courage to go to your face-to-face meetings and to find the ones that work for you to call your home and your sacred place and your safe space. All right? Without further ado, thank you so much, everybody, for being here. Bless you. Bless your souls. Thank you. And thank you for choosing you. And thank you for being sober another 24 hours. Keep doing it. Keep choosing you. And keep staying sober. Blessed be everybody. Bye.